Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best DMs and GMs on this plane of existence. Let's jump straight in with our guest intro. Corey, the DM of Girls Who Don't D&D, an actual play podcast from Australia, has been gaming for years, including tabletops, strategy and war games, and more. He started Girls Who Don't D&D for one reason. He wanted to make something that his son could listen to someday and say, hey, my dad is pretty cool. What a great dad. With a bunch of new players, a gaming garage, and a few microphones, Girls Who Don't D&D was born. Corey puts a ton of work into the show and has added some unique elements which I love, including featuring fans as guest voice actors for NPCs. Enjoy! When I first started looking at that question, I was like, man, how long ago did I start playing this game? And it was the red box. D&D brought out a little red box, which I still think is the best looking version of that game. And I think that was in the 80s some stage, right back when Stranger Things started referring to those time periods when Stranger Things. And I played a few other board games at the time period, like uh, Space Hulk and Blood Bowl and all those things I just loved. But then I just drifted away from it, scheduling problems, all those things, and didn't really play D&D for a good 20 years, I think. And then a mate of mine had a street party. He just moved to a place and he decided to have a street party. And we were like, this is a terrible idea. Why are you doing this? And someone else from the street came to his house and saw a miniature in the corner of his room and said, hey, do you play d and <laughs> They had this big open room and a lot of space and this one miniature in the corner on a shelf. And this guy, being like the rest of us who loved the game, cared nothing about the barbecue and cared nothing about anything else. He sees this mini and, as I said, he's thinking like the rest of us, I don't really care about the people, I don't care about the barbecue, but I do care about D&D. So he's hunting in the room down now trying to find who plays and that guy he started up a game and i got involved in that like all these things scheduling eventually killed us 27 people want to play the game but then 27 people can't organize the schedule so we had about seven people i think it was something insane but the addiction returned and from that suddenly board games came back into my life i built a games room i lived and breathed it again for a while i started listening to podcasts here we are that's where we came from <laughs> so how many years ago was that where it started Probably about six or seven years ago. No, it's more. That's probably now close to 10 because I bought a place and almost straight away when I got in, I went, oh, that garage, that's a games room. Good luck getting in their cars <laughs> and started building a little space for us to play in. Yeah. Nice. Was it 3.5 that you were playing at that point or was it fourth edition? Do you recall? Just out of curiosity. We started in fourth edition, which is interesting. It got me back in. Like a lot of these people who dislike different versions of this game. D&D is a game that you're supposed to break, as far as I'm concerned. I think you're supposed to destroy it a little bit because it is yours. And it says that in quite a few of the releases. It says, take this, make it your own, change this a little bit. And sure, there are people out here saying, you can't change everything. No, don't change everything. Don't go, look, we're not going to roll a D20 anymore. I got these D21s. They're special. But you got to get out there and think, how can I make this work for the people I play with? So I think when I started, yeah, it was probably fourth edition. And it felt more like a board game at first. And I almost forgot about playing, but it led me toward the podcast where they did do the role-playing. And that made me excited about role-playing. I'd never been excited about role-playing before. So maybe age <laughs> helped me along a little bit. But I saw people doing it differently. I went, oh, you don't have to do what I was doing. You can do whatever you want. And that do whatever you want part is what D&D is to me. And that led me to what I think is a much more fun game. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. 
I feel like a lot of people have made that same shift when they started, especially if they started in the 70s, 80s, probably even 90s too. It was a much different game than it's kind of evolved into now. And I think a lot of people have evolved with it like yourself and realized, oh, there's a lot more fun you can have by telling fun stories and doing crazy things than just like going into the dungeon, killing the monster, getting the treasure, rinse, repeat, right? Right. And I think also, and I loved, I didn't play a lot of third edition or 3.5, but I loved it. And what was interesting about that was how many things were already explained to you. There was a table for this and a table for that, which is great. But as soon as I saw somebody else's table for this is the type of this, I went, all right, here are the 10 ones I want to add to that. So some people love having that all pre-written, and I think that's fantastic because it helps with time, but it also might help with the imagination. But for me, as soon as I see someone else's locked down version of something, all I can think of, it must be the arrogance. I could add one better than that. (laughs) But it's not really that. It's this, oh, imagine, imagine if we could do one more thing. To me, when we play now, we play fifth edition now. It is definitely fifth edition with an asterisk because the asterisk is, I will steal from anywhere else to make this fun. We've had sections where we've used rock, paper, scissors. I'm sure people noticed what we were doing when we were doing it. We had the battleship game where you guess where things are. I did that for one part where the girls had to find somebody in an avalanche. I mean, how do I do this without being bored? I was like, well, we made a grid and girls start digging. Tell me where you think you're digging. So little things like that. It does add to the fun. I love adding games into the game just because, like you said, it shakes things up. Fair and carnival games are always fun. Drinking games or your examples are really interesting too. Almost like gladiatorial style games. You've got a few in there without spoiling too much. When you initially started playing then in the 80s, did you start running games then or was it something you got into more um, in your adult years here? I have a vague recollection of running a couple of games early for a next door neighbor or something like that when I was very young. And they would have been pen, paper, here's a map. You go into this room and I just make stuff up. Actually putting together something with a bit of a story, I didn't do until the second stint, as we're going to call it now. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> that part, I said, look, I would love to run a game. And everyone got on board with that really quickly. It was so much fun, but the scheduling did take its toll. And it always does. And again, it was too many people wanting to play that made it difficult to line everyone's games up all the time. But I had so much fun putting together the story that I guess it sat in the back of my mind. So other than that, I think what's quite amazing about our show is the fact that <laughs> people have heard most of my DM experience, but also some a fair chunk of my D&D experience. As a DM, I think I had 10 games under my belt when I started doing this one. Wow, that's impressive. Uh, thank you. And I think part of that is also I knew the rules to an extent from listening to other shows and having the books and playing for a long time. And you, you get the gist makes sense. So that was never going to be too big a problem. But the other part was I wasn't bound by anything. So I just got in there and said, we're telling a story and let's see where it goes <laughs> and the rules that help us get there. I didn't play as a kid. I found it in adulthood from some coworkers and it's been a really fun creative outlet, but the scheduling conflicts really resonates with me and with most other people too. But yeah, it's the biggest monster in D&D. It is. You start adding jobs and families and vacations and holidays and we haven't played in probably a month because my one friends, they just welcomed a new baby. My other friends are doing this and that. Man, imagine my fear. I'm playing with three women, three women who don't have kids yet. I look at them and go, you're going to have to at some stage take some time off if you want to go down that path. <laughs> this is not a thing you can just go, I'm just going to leave the kid at home. And uh, you're like, no, I've got a child. And here's the reason I do this. I started making this so that he would have something to listen to think of me as someone more than the guy who mows the front lawn. 
you know, I wanted that little bit of, <laughs> I have a great connection with him and I never want to lose that. And part of that was hopefully one day, who knows, he'll be at uni or something like that or whatever job he decides to go to, whatever path he goes down and driving there and listening to me rabbit on with these three people and experiencing life differently. But that also means you've got to schedule things. And it's easy for me. I just walk downstairs, but they're going to get here. So that's why we have three for starters. There's, there's three people. I learned that. Lots of people want to play with these massive groups, and I understand that. But that's when you get trouble. And we have scheduling troubles with three people and, of course, illness and pandemics and whatever. Yes. You had a lockdown near the beginning of your show. I remember you having to explain like why there was such a gap and some issues. Here's my advice to people who want to go down this path. Make more episodes than you release at the start. We made six episodes across six months. Then <laughs> yeah. I went, boom, have all six episodes. And honestly, again, I thought no one was going to listen. On our first day, we had three listeners, and there were four of us in the group. I knew that someone in our group let us down. <laughs> so we did not expect anyone to turn up. And so we put six episodes out there, and it was the next day we went into lockdown. It was almost like we knew it was coming, but at the same time, we thought we'll probably sneak another game in before it comes along and whatever. But it was pretty quick, and we respected it. So what did we do? We had to release an episode. We went to these mini episodes. We played by phone. I've never played by phone before. The girls have never played by phone before. I've never done a one-on-one before. And so if you ever want to know how hard that is, go and listen to ours because that's the first time we've ever done it. And again, magic of editing, you can cut out when the phone stopped working and we had to ring people back or the fact that the sound was terrible for a bit. But we had bits of recording equipment all over the place and had this weird situation where we were allowed to drop things off to each other's houses but not say hello to each other. <laughs> so these packages <laughs> with the sound equipment would end up in your front deck and just door dashing it to everybody. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Uber, as we call it in our show. Uber, yes. Uber. Which is funny because it's like you're putting a French accent on a German word. Anyway, I'm sure I just explained that joke and everybody already knew it. <laughs> well, no, the other part is that there's actually bears that come along. So it's the ooh bears. <laughs> oh, ooh, oh, right. Ooh bear. Yes. Ooh bear. That's the yeah. end game. Again, a throwaway line that meant nothing and then becomes part of your show. <laughs> becomes part of the law. It does. It does. The reason I started the show is I love hearing about people's mistakes they make from behind the screen. So I'd love to know what some of the mistakes you feel like you've made have been while running the game and while recording, and maybe some lessons that other DMs, GMs could learn from some of the stuff that you've done. I think all my mistakes stem back to preparation. Lesson number one is do not let the people you're playing with convince you to play a little bit longer than your story goes just because they're having fun. Our first episode actually has 20 minutes cut out from the end of it, where the girls went, I'm having so much fun, let's keep going, which I was like, I thought when we started this, three young women who have the world at their feet aren't going to give up too much time to do this with me. <laughs> but they loved it. They did exactly what people who love D&D do. And you can hear it in the way they play. You can hear it in their voices, this excitement, and they're stunned when they get to do things. So of course, when they said, can we play another 20 minutes? I was like, yeah, let's keep going. <laughs> and then I tried to wing it. Those 20 minutes will never be heard by anybody. They are abysmal. And it's because I kind of knew what I wanted to do, but I hadn't really fleshed it out enough. So in doing nothing, I kind of threw a whole bunch of mediocre stuff at them. And I said, do you guys mind if we just don't do that bit? I was lucky enough they said yes. So then off we went and I got to do the preparation. The whole thing is about prep. There's over prep, there's under prep, there's this perfect line of prep. The one thing I can't change when I record, when we're doing an episode, I can't change the lack of confidence in my voice. If I'm sitting there saying, um, 
It's fine if they've done something that's thrown me a little bit. <laughs> that's great. But if I'm going, I don't know what's going to happen to any degree. I just have to invent a pub. The pub appears. Please go in the pub because I don't know what's happening. Go and go and have a long rest. I need you. To- no, I don't want to have that nerves. And so the preparation is the key for me. That hides some of my mistakes. But overplaying so that you go past what you wanted to do. And I think the other one is, I guess it's not a mistake, but um, don't think that the story has to go somewhere. The story just has to go. And if you think the story has to go where I wanted it to go, you're going to railroad your players. The, the most recent episode we just recorded is actually called Railroaded. The whole idea is that I want to give player agency. I want to give them options. I want to give them choice. And it's a hard thing to do sometimes with what we do. But at the same time, if you don't have that, your players are just sitting there listening to you talk. So listen, adapt, and don't think that your version of the story is the story because then you're going to get in trouble. That's the mistake you're going to make. Classic mistake, easy to slip into. But like you said, your players can sense it and they may get bored a lot faster or they just become less invested because they realize, well, my decision doesn't mean anything in this situation, right? It's just... Right, yeah. Yeah, and then it kind of breaks the immersion a little bit too. It goes along well with mistakes you've made, but can you think of a time or is there a time in the show or in previous games where a player just totally threw a wrench in the works, a spanner in the works, whatever you want to call it, who totally messed up what you had planned and you had to find a way to make it work or change directions, whatever it might be. What was the situation like? What did you do as a result? How did it go? It's a little bit like what I just said. We had a story where I thought I knew where the story was going to go. And at the absolute last moment, a player threw the wrench. We have a character called Freya. Anybody who listens to the show is probably already having a bit of a snicker now because as soon as you know who Freya is, you know trouble is coming. She (laughs) plays the character beautifully and so well for a person who's never played before. But if you think you know what's going to happen, you don't. I did not expect what she did. It was right at the end of an episode. It was one of those parts where I was like, ooh, what will you choose? I mean, it's a choice, sure. But I thought the logical choice is going to be this. And she said, oh, no, 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 I'm doing the other thing. And we had to start an entire new path because she effectively left her party to die. (laughs) It was a fake choice. Your friends are going to die. Or you can go and do this other thing. And she went, yeah, I'm doing the other thing. And I was unprepared for that. I was like, oh, no, when she picks her friends, the arc that I'd been building will finish up with her suddenly being able to save everyone anyway. But she went, oh, no, no, I'm not saving them today. I need what I want. So the entire story changed and a whole new episode had to be written. And it's a great episode. There's <laughs> all these things that suddenly happen over the next bit, including some things where I had to stretch myself as a DM because I thought now I've caused a problem that I have to fix. I had characters in two different, let's call them time zones and time speeds that were able to communicate with each other weren't able to influence each other's worlds particularly, but playing simultaneously. I thought, I'm going to make a mess of this, but it was so much fun. (laughs) So the wrenches are what we're there for. My world's built on wrenches. And every time I think (laughs) I can't get any weirder, another strange angle comes out. And we've got boats built out of spiders. We've had a changeling who can turn into someone. And I just sometimes go, oh, what are you going to look like? And think the answer is going to be simple. Like, oh, I'll just look like a witch. (laughs) I get an answer like, I pick this specific character to be. And because of that choice, I'm like, oh no, the entire world just changed. This person just walked into a room that no one else was expecting to be in that room, but they all know who it is. What do you do with that? Roll with it. Just go with it, go with it, go with it. That's an incredible quote. My world is built on wrenches. (laughs) That's like DM 101 right there. (laughs) It is. And there's all this lore in my world that makes so much sense. We have a moment where 
a character at the start, a throwaway line, so many throwaway lines, which are also those mini wrenches, had a character who's, I said, pick clothes, get whatever you want. It was just a little lighthearted moment. And she decided she needed a backpack of underwear, just unlimited underwear that you always put your hand in the backpack, there's going to be underwear. And that has now turned into a backpack that is connected effectively to a god via an astral plane sort of thing. And it's a key component of the story. And it came from a throwaway line. It's now necessary. If we didn't have it, we wouldn't have been able to make the story work. <laughs> it's funny how that works. I think your show in particular, but I think most D&D games kind of share this. It almost feels dreamlike, like when you're in a dream and you're just constantly like shifting to different places and things kind of make sense, but they kind of don't. Girls Who Don't D&D is a very dreamlike state for me, like listening to how the story is working. And my games tend to be very similar. Yeah, it's a story that has connections all over the place, but doesn't have conclusions constantly. There's pieces that are being built as we play. We do a lot of unusual things. We had some ideas. These are all ideas I had, middle of the night ideas, where you wake up and you're looking for a pen and paper, and you go, oh, this, is, this, is, this is what I needed. We edited three episodes at the start with fake fantasy ads and other bits and pieces and different types of voiceovers, and they all got cut out at the end because it wasn't the right style. And we added these stories that tell what's happening in the background. And we added these parts where the audience can be some of the voices. But I'll talk about the stories for a second because they get written after each episode. And what happens is I play a game, listen to it, and I think, okay, how do the actions of the players in this situation actually affect the rest of the world? Given this situation, what would the other people in the world be doing? And the audience gets to hear that, but the players don't. So I think that adds to that little dreamlike facade of sorts. Because the people at home are getting a whole new situation that the players don't get, which I love. I love that my players sometimes are out there going, wait, what happened? And I'm like, oh, no, everyone else already knows about that. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're like cutscenes, right? Yeah, that's exactly what they are like. Yeah. And it's hard to do with your own home game without just giving your players all the information. But I remember you saying that a few times in your recordings, like, oh, well, everybody else knows what's happening, but you don't. Like, that's always funny. And they hate that. I mean, I can't really stop them from going and listening to the show. (laughs) But for them, they get a little show with all those bits cut out. It's very easy to just cut out the two stories per episode or whatever we do. Just cut those out. Off they go. I have a little sound effect that starts when a story is going to come in. It's just a little noise and you know a story is coming. I leave that in so they know that the audience got something. (laughs) They're sitting there for a minute of silence going, the audience is getting a minute worth of story right now and we are missing out. And yeah, it hurts. As part of our job is to almost hurt our players, just a little, so we can make them feel better later. You got to make them a little desperate, right? Because people do desperate things, yeah. (laughs) You mentioned earlier you mix in all sorts of different things to your games. I know you use skill challenges a lot. You've made rules for random little games. Any other kind of homebrew rules, et cetera, that you like to include or that you feel like have really added to Girls Who Don't D&D? This one was important because we're doing a podcast. One of the interesting things was I knew that I wanted to break one of these rules. One of the rules of D&D, it's almost rule one, never split the party. And yet, splitting the party is the joy of of a story. I was just watching a show last night, and as soon as I saw this part, there was like four people went into a building, they split into two teams, and all right, we got the split started. But I was like, no, they need to split one more time. So then someone got shot, and they had to send the medic back to help out which left the one person who was about to get some secret information that everyone else was going to go, wait a minute, is that information real? Or are you playing the sides? Are you on both sides here? And that's great storytelling. So I wanted to be able to split the party. But I also didn't want to have to say too often, and I do it occasionally, 
somebody has to leave the table for this. You can't hear this part. <laughs> right. We've done it a couple of times because there are things that are so big that I wanted to find out what the response was for people who'd never heard what was going on. But most of the time, I think we've got this little thing called, uh, we've got the tattoos. And D&D brought in, 5th edition in particular, brought in some of these tattoos, and I loved them. Imagine having a tattoo that actually gave you power. These ones allow you to speak to each other psychically within range. They're like a mobile phone, <laughs> but not a mobile phone where you can speak to everybody, just a group of people. And so it's an unusual mechanic, I guess you could say, not so much a rule, but it has certainly helped the podcasting side of things. But as far as the gameplay went, it made me start thinking, okay, what would real world people do with that power? That You just needed a tattoo to listen to other people's conversations. Oh, you were listening to other people's conversations. You would sneak in and go, I can hear you. We even have a weird law that we made up that when people have one of those, when you almost die, when you go into death saves, it expands the range of that. So now you can speak to people much further away, which allowed us to have these transitional bits of story that otherwise impossible to tell. I don't know if it's exactly a rule, but it's certainly been beneficial to have this unusual mechanic. So I can think of, I try not to toy with the rules too much. Another D&D podcast that led me to the idea that a magic user wouldn't have a spell that did just one thing. A magic user would tinker with their own spells. So the idea of rolling an arcana check to see if you could just manipulate the spell a little bit, that's one of the sort of things I love as well. So we recently had a spell that did something that it definitely couldn't do. It was Mage Hand. But I thought, imagine what a Mage Hand would do if instead of being low-level cantrip, or you could say, actually, no, this is a level three Mage Hand, or this is a level nine Mage Hand. What would it really be? And if you mastered something, why would you not keep adding to it? So this mage hand cast another mage hand and had to do the somatic part. So it made the mouth with its own fingers and mouthed the spell and made two mage hands so they could then use sign language to talk to people and guide them down the next path. And I had so much fun. Really, it was just one of those things. Like, how do I explain that I want to use sign language in a podcast <laughs> so that no one can watch? An incredible medium for sign language, yeah. Yeah, that's what people are always saying. We need more visual gags in your world. <laughs> yeah. But I had so much fun with the girls trying to explain to them this is what it's doing and it really worked out well. Yeah, it was really fun. It was fun to listen to. Is there a moment that sticks out, whether from narrative or from combat or from anything else, that is your favorite moment from your games so far? Again, with what we do, one of the best things I ever managed to do, just one of those bits where you felt warm and giddy at the same time, with the voiceovers that we have in our show that are often done by members of the audience, when we first started, we didn't have an audience. So we had friends and we had a small number of people who were starting to notice. But I had my wife and my son voice some of the lines from the show. And I remember standing there with this silly grin on my face as my wife read lines and she totally went for it. I couldn't believe it. Like She just went, I'm not just going to read these. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to be this character. And the same thing with my son. He was four when he did his first little recording. I gave him the script from Braveheart (laughs) just because I thought, this is insane. He's going to do this rousing speech and he's actually going to do this Sons of Scotland speech and he goes for it. He really went for it. So they were wonderful experiences as a game maker, podcaster, all those things. In-game, I guess, is a bit different. Watching a player destroy their nemesis that you've built up and you've built it up so much that you can see them starting to writhe when you say the name of the character. She was known as the princess of many names, which was another inside joke where I accidentally asked the audience to send in the names for this character because we hadn't come up with a name yet. But in the meantime, forgot that I'd actually already named her and sent that out for someone else to record. So when it came back, I was like, oh no. 
And then, as I was talking about before, this character threw a wrench and I had to re-edit this section because it was meant to be the end of an arc, but because Freya did this strange thing, the end of the arc didn't exist anymore, so I had to re-edit it. So it sounds like I'm super prepared for something that she does in one of our shows. It's actually me recutting a whole thing from a whole different section and leaving a whole bunch of stuff out, which included this evil character's name. This evil character has tried to kill her twice, once when she was young and once when she was much older, and she gets to come back and have her moment. It was a one-on-one bit of play. It was unusual, and she nailed it. She was just so excited by that moment. But of course, it's D&D, so has the story ended yet? I don't know, which is the nice way of saying no, it hasn't. (laughs) Right, right. You in particular did a very good job of giving them lots of encounters with the princess of many names to like increase their rivalry and hate for her, where I think a lot of people find it difficult because the moment they put their villain anywhere near their players, the players attack it and try to kill it, right? But I think you did a very good job of putting them in situations where they couldn't or shoot, get away or whatever it was. It was a lot of build up to that moment. Yeah. We started with the idea that they didn't know anything, which suited the players not knowing anything. So these characters had the cliched amnesia, but it worked really well because then I could tell their stories in flashback, which meant that I could introduce this horrible person thing who had already done horrible things to them. So the hatred started before they met. And then when they met, it continued and she kept escaping from them because there were too many other things going on at the time. And always putting her just a little out of reach meant that when she finally got near her, it was only a matter of time. I won't go into the details of what happens, but I gave her a power that I didn't think she would (laughs) use too quickly. Oh, no, she used it immediately. She was Emperor Palpatine. Her fingers were glowing sort of things. How quickly can I end everybody in this room if I have to? Because I built up a little bit too much hate, maybe. Maybe a bit too much. (laughs) It was great, though. And um, the reason she smelled like mint, too, that was a fun reveal as well. (laughs) Again, no spoilers, but yeah, very creative. A great logic to the idea that changeling people would need a different way of identifying each other. We'd never really thought about the logic of changelings living in a large groups. So this character is a changeling. And imagining that you sat down at every dinner table and just went, well, I hope these are the people of my family. I mean, I assume they <laughs> yeah, are. but they all- Everyone showed up here, but I don't know who, who's who. Yeah. No one's got ID cards. No one has a driver's license in that world. You can't sit there and take a photo. Who do you want me to look like? Great. That's who I'll look like. <laughs> yeah. couple of quick announcements then we'll talk about our sponsors and then we'll jump right back in with quickfire chaos first of all this is the second to last show for season three and the reason is my partner is actually expecting our second child who will be born within a matter of days of me recording this so i'm planning on taking some time off in between season three and season four and i don't have a date set up yet for season four and when that will get started But if you follow me on social media, or if you look for some updates on this channel, I will put out some teasers as I'm getting ready to start season four so that you all are well appraised as to when it is happening. Thank you for your understanding, and I'm super excited for the birth of our next child and being a dad all over again. I think it's gonna be a ton of work and a ton of fun. In other local news, last weekend I was at SaltCon, which is a local convention here in Utah, focusing on board and tabletop gaming. And it was a blast. I ran a bunch of Adventurers League games for people, a bunch of complete strangers, and a couple of people who I knew. I was able to participate in a panel about TTRPGs in the modern world and kind of how actual plays and that kind of thing have changed the way that games are run and people like to play them. 
I also got to hang out with a bunch of my local friends who are also podcasters. So here's the list. I was able to chat with and hang out with Thomas of iCast Fireball, Abby and Dave and the whole cast of the Tomes of the Chaos Bar, Riley of the Board Game Community Show and Friend and Foe Adventure Co., and Cade and Brooklyn from Knocked Prone. Cade was my very first guest on the show. Got a really soft spot in my heart for Cade. Love that guy. And also I got to meet Elowin and Porter, who are the proprietors of the Smoking Barrel Tavern. You may have seen their content on Instagram, on TikTok, and uh, on a few other places. They do some streaming, they do some short form content as kind of like uh, tavern owners in the same vein as Quincy's Tavern. So really fun to meet and connect with those people as well. It was a great weekend. Two more things for Utah folks specifically coming up in April. Andy and Everett of the We Geek Together Tavern in Provo are trying to break a world record for the world's largest D&D game. That's coming up next month, like I said. So if you live near me, check out the links in the episode notes for how to get involved in that game that they're hoping is going to break some world records. That would be awesome to be a part of. And lastly, the Convergence, which I talked about with uh, Quincy and Jason of Critical Dice a couple of weeks ago, is happening in May. There are still tickets available. Again, the links will be in the episode show notes if you want to be there, rub shoulders with some awesome tabletop content creators, and hang out in Evermore Park, which is a really fun, immersive experience. Okay, that's a lot of stuff to track. Let's talk about our sponsors for this episode, and then we can jump into Quickfire Chaos. Are you tired of games where every piece of equipment is the same? Want to play a game where your equipment matches you? Pick up a copy of Redshift, a classless D6 dice pool game where you can modify every piece of equipment, from your spaceship to the equipment you carry in your hands. No two characters will be the same. Without classes or levels, you can boost the skills you want. Want to make a magic user that can also throw a punch? Go for it! Download your copy of Redshift at www.sixsidedgames.com. Again, that website all spelled out is www.sixsidedgames.com. Check out the episode notes for that link. Last but not least, I want to give a shout out to podcasteditors.online and videoeditors.online. Podcasteditors.online is the group that edits this podcast, and they do an awesome job, as you can hear. They also do actual play podcasts or any other kind of podcast that you may have. So take a look at their website, at their great rates, and see if you are interested in buying some editing hours a la carte. And if you tell them I sent you, you might get a little discount on your first couple of hours there of your podcast. So check that out. Videoeditors.online, also very useful if you are a YouTube creator, if you have any kind of video content, TikTok or Reels, short form, YouTube shorts, they do it all. So go check out videoeditors.online if you're a video creator and you want to take advantage of that too. So same deal if you want to mention How Not to DM sent you, I'm sure they'll hook you up with some discounted hours to start. So check those both out if you are a podcast or video creator or both. With all that out of the way, let's dive into this week's version of Quickfire Chaos. This week on Quickfire Chaos, Corey and I are going to roll some D100s on some random tables from the internet to create a scenario to roleplay together. First table is your voice description. I have a 15. 
A constant quick talker. It's like their mouth is struggling to keep up with their racing mind. That'll be fun. Next thing is a personality trait. 75. Over-emotional, excessively or abnormally emotional, sensitive about themselves and others, more so than the average person. Well, that'll be fun. Quick-talking, emotional person. This is the opposite of me. (laughs) Right. You're definitely much more of a methodical talker, huh? Yeah. Next one is their job. That's a nine. A town crier. I've got city quests and I've got fetch quests. What sounds more interesting to play today? I guess if I'm a town crier, I'm going to be inside the walls. It seems weird that he's gone outside to get people involved. (laughs) The city is great. So let's do the last one. 12. A young boy has a small pouch of copper stolen from him by teenage thugs. I will play a drow cleric. Purple skin, silvery hair. I'll have some sort of holy symbol flowing robes, maybe like a deep blue. This town crier is standing, of course, in the town center. Where else would a town crier be? It's the start of the shift. Early morning, it's going to be a long shift too. I think we don't notice that town criers weren't just turning up for a little bit. Sometimes they were there all day. So he's rocked up to the start of his shift. There's almost nobody else in the whole area. Dusty little village, city walls that aren't very high. This is a town crier who hasn't had a good start in life and sadly is hoping to go to the next level of town crier, which is a bigger city, but things aren't going particularly well for him there. It's a hard ladder to climb. (laughs) People aren't listening to this town crier. The number one rule of town criers is that everyone listens to you. This is the town crier who starts the day with an empty field (laughs) and ends the day much the same, just thinking someone's going to pay attention to me today. It's my chance. Okay. For some unknown reason, you are there. <laughs> yeah, I've woken up early because I like to head to the temple or the shrine or whatever to pray before I start my morning. So maybe I'm from out of town. I just showed up. I slept outside the walls and I'm looking for the nearest place to pray. So yeah, you'll see me like wandering into the town square. He ye, he ye, says the town crier. He ye, he ye, gather, <sighs> gather round. Okay, um, somebody, anybody, come on, somebody over here. There's got to be somebody who wants to. This is. I'm getting a little bit sick of this. Everyone, I can see you, Steve. I can see you. Don't duck behind that. I'm over you, Steve. It's not gonna. Gary, Gary, is that you, Gary? And now he's looking at you. You are not Gary, of course. But this is his only chance of getting inside your mind for a moment and grab you. I, I can see you. Can you just, yes, thank you for turning around. Thank you. Uh, okay, just stay with me a second. Stay with me a second. Okay, here's the news. Here's the, it's good. Some of it's good news. Um, my wife has gone. She left this morning. Um, I, that's not the news, but I'm just going to throw that in there. She took, she took everything. Anyway, the story, I've, what is the real story? Oh, Farmer Joe, his eggs are on sale this week. You can get a baker's dozen. They shouldn't be called that because they're eggs. But anyway, Gary, if you're interested in eggs, could you, Gary, would you mind coming? You don't look like Gary. Where Where are you from? Oh, no, mate. I'm actually uh, from quite a, quite a way south of here, but uh, I just happened in town. I was looking for a, a place to pray. But uh, it sounds like you've got a lot of good things to share, so I'll come listen to you for a bit. <laughs> it's not all good. It's not all good. I just I hasn't mentioned my wife. She left no. this morning, but that's not yeah, too bad. It's who news. she left with. It's who she left with. Both neighbors. Oh, both neighbors. I would have thought just both. one would be enough, but it's both. Um, anyway, it's, uh, it's uh, a the, tough go. There's more. There's more. After the eggs, there's a little thing. I'd love you to sort of 
There's a kid. There's a kid. It's not. It's not that. It's some other kids took his stuff. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. They took his stuff, and and could you maybe? So I can't leave where I am. Right. I have to stay uh, here well, all day with the rest of the news. This is the story, but it's not really a story yet because it's just a kid. He's had his stuff stolen for some kids. If you, if you right. could go and beat up those kids, I don't. I don't ask people to beat up kids very often. I'm very sensitive right now. My wife left this morning with both neighbours and the guy across the street. So uh, I would you like. You did it. mention that. Yeah. Please don't meet her. By the way, she she likes your type. Oh dear. Uh, listen, mate. I'm not looking for a, a, a woman or anything like that, but. I think I can help you with this little problem with uh, with this lad who's had all his stuff nicked. Uh, do you know who it might have been who stole his stuff? It, it seems like a small town. Like you might know who who done it, right? Well, I'm not. You know, I think Steve's probably involved. He's shutting that door over there very quickly, but I never know. Look, it was a bunch of kids. A bunch of oh, they're rough kids. <laughs> do they, do they have a place they like? They have yeah, a place they loiter, hang out. Kids. They, yeah, at they my hang place. out at your yours. Two of them are my okay. kids. I, they don't listen to me. <laughs> well, uh, that's tragic, mate. Uh, listen, Could you I'm going to say a prayer for my you. Kids? <laughs> I'm going to say a prayer for you. Uh, I'm, mm. I'm not promising that I'm going to beat up any kids, but I'll definitely get the stuff back and I will encourage Just a them to... Yeah, perhaps. I'll encourage them to not do it again. I'm going to cast thaumaturgy and like make my eyes light up a little bit and make Ooh. my voice kind of loud. And uh, say, I have a commanding voice in a commanding presence if I need to. I've been known to discipline. Then I'll turn it off. Excellent. Excellent. Please, again, <laughs> please don't show that move to my wife. She'll be very impressed. Oh, I just received a sending stone. Listen, listen. Uh-huh. Sorry. Um, ex-wife. Uh, yeah. She's gone. She's gone. You can do what you please now. We're, we're, it's been a while. We, we spent some time separated. Um, your, half your of that ex, time said- we were on a boat and it just didn't work. You know, it just didn't work S- out. So, so your your ex is now hitting you up since she found out that your wife left. Is that no, no? This uh, is now she is my ex. I'm just you know. Look, as I said, you can't make everybody happy. I'd like to make just somebody, just one person. But anyway, uh, enough about me. What about you? What about you? you what do you like? What do you do? What do you eat? Uh, what do you, do you eat? You know, do you, eat? Uh, do you want to go out for uh, something? Uh, you, are you interested? Uh, so let me go take care of this this kid thing first, and okay, then sure. I'll come back, let you know I've done it, let you know your kids are you know back home doing their chores or whatever, and yeah. then maybe we could we could figure out lunch. Uh, does that sound fair? Perfect, perfect. Smite away, <laughs> smite away. Right. Uh, again, I don't do the smiting. Uh, I'm not going to hurt kids, but I, I will you know yell at them or something. I don't right. believe in uh, smiting. I'm going to go yeah, this I do way. In smiting. <laughs> that's up to you mate I'm not going to tell you how to parent uh, yeah I'm going to yeah, go okay. this way and I'll go figure this out uh, do you, what was the what was the kid's name oh there's two kids two kids there's five kids all together but the two kids um, um, the, my kids is Tiffany she's trouble yeah she's trouble sounds yeah, like and, it yeah. uh, and Barakosh Barakosh well, that's quite a strong name just Barry, uh, just Barry. what about the, what about the kid who had his stuff nicked though what's his name Ah, uh, that's um, that's uh, Ariel, Ariel. Right. I, I'll yeah. go find her or him or them, uh, and then I will get this stuff back, and then I'll come back to you. All right. Uh, I'm also going to be saying some prayers for you because it sounds like you've had a rough go of it, mate. Uh, yeah. Uh, please don't don't go anywhere. Don't do anything rash until I come back. <laughs> Agree. No, I can't. My shift has just started. I'm here all day. 
Great. Yep. You stay right just there. Okay. Know what yep. the sales See you, mate. Are. I'll go. Yes. I'll just go. Take okay. You don't in. have to go. You can stick oh. it. Stick a bit longer yeah. if you wanted. Uh, it's all right, mate. I'm gonna go. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I lost another one. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Poor guy. Poor guy, but I actually think the wife made a right decision. She got out of there. Perhaps. That was Perhaps. Trouble. He seems yeah. quite unstable. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Poor bugger. I yeah. thought I'd be brave and go with my Australian accent with an Australian because- I heard it. I was going to say something about it, but I thought, I'm in game. <laughs> yeah. I thought I'd be brave and job. try it. Thank you. Thank you. It's not my best, but it's something. We're difficult. Usually people go towards South African, which is a little bit of a sharper edge at the end, or the New Zealander, which- um just has a bit of an E sound that changes. So chips. Fush and chips. Fush and chips. Everyone says that one. Fush and chips. We have a Kiwi character in our show, actually, and uh, his name's Craig, which Craig is just an in-joke between me and a friend of mine from Craig who was traveling through America and no one could call him Craig. Everyone wanted to call him Craig. And he was like, it's Craig. It's got an A and an I in it. Oh, they said Craig or Craig? Would they say Craig? He called him Craig a lot. We turned it much harsher into Craig, but... um. Never got Craig. Craig. Just Craig. Craig. Yeah. <laughs> he said he said I spent a lot of time Craig. saying it's just Craig. Sure, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear about the backstory of Girls Who Don't D D, where the idea came from, what did it take to get it off the ground and convince these three people who've never done it before? And then how has it been going so far? I had a job. We don't talk about the job that I have because I quit it and started up somewhere else doing the same sort of thing. But I was the boss of these three lovely young women who are on my show. When I left, I did so, I don't want to say quickly, it makes it sound like I just stormed out and had one of those epic endings, but no, I just took a job somewhere right. else. But I now want it to sound like I stormed out and the place was burning behind me and exploding and I was like, yeah, take that. But no, I got a job somewhere else and the girls wanted to stay in contact. And they're much younger than me. I'm nearly 50. This is insane that I am doing this at this stage of my life. The girls range from early 20s to early 30s, so it's a bit of a gap. But as I said, I was their boss, so I didn't think they'd want to stay in contact because it's a difficult connection. And when I left, they went, no, we really enjoyed our lunch breaks and all those sort of things. Let's go out and have a few drinks. I don't really drink much, and I also thought the idea of going out for drinks for three younger women probably wasn't the thing my wife wanted to hear. So I said, it's not my thing anyway. How about we go into my games room and play some board games? And left it at that. And then one day I was driving along and I just had this epiphany that we should play D&D. And I rang one of the girls in this excited voice, we should play D&D. And she said, what's D&D? And I went, oh, we're away. And I had to explain it to her. Oh, she goes, oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, it was on the TV show, Stranger Things and blah, blah, blah. So then the idea sort of stemmed from these people who'd never played the game before would be starting out and doing everything from scratch. So the main reason for doing a podcast, we'd been playing with some podcasting equipment that we'd been basically given where we worked and recorded one podcast about some very mundane things. And then I bought myself a podcasting and I said, these things are awesome. I can't wait to do this. And so I thought, I can't wait to record stuff that my son can listen to one day. So my son at the time we started was four and I just wanted to make a show that he could listen to when he's older. Not a show he could listen to when he was younger, but a show that reminded him that his dad was the same person the whole time. There's a different level to parents that we don't always see. And I wanted to have his recorded. <laughs> so it's definitely not a show for kids, but it's a show for hopefully a young adult turning into a man who can realize that his dad's just a person too. But anyway, it starts with beginners. And then I think it pretty quickly turns into a story that people don't expect. It becomes very story-driven 
they don't expect it to be quite as powerful as it is sometimes. It's silly because people don't know what they're doing. So we go off the rails a bit, but then there are moments that are very heartfelt. There is depth to the story that people have to really be paying attention to to find out what's going on. And I think when you first listen to the show, you wouldn't expect any of these sort of things, but that's D&D. D&D is all those things. So if you play it long enough, eventually you're going to have these big moments and these things that um, draw people in. You've listened to the show. Is that an accurate description? (laughs) I would say so, yes. And I love playing with new players. And so the idea of listening to people who are brand new to the game sounded like a lot of fun to me too. The fact that you have to spend X number of minutes explaining different types of dice and like hit points and armor class and spell slots and blah, blah, blah. I know that stuff already, but it's still fun to like hear the stuff that new players think of and do because they just have a fresh perspective on things, right? They do. And it's rather sentimental in a way, isn't it? You feel sentimental. I remember that. And then you hear their love for the game growing and you think, that's what I love. They're loving the thing I love. Let's do more of this. So yeah, and there's a lot of that. And you go from, yeah, what dice is it to people crying because something just happened in game? And we've had moments where I've gone, girls, it's a podcast. You're sitting there in tears. Make some noises near the microphone, please. (laughs) I need to let people listening know that you're actually reacting, but you're all sitting there in silence and stunned. As for how it got started, when it got out there into the world, it was crazy. We released six episodes at once. We went into lockdown. And so we had a bit of time. We only play monthly. We do everything wrong, basically. Podcasts should be happening a lot and it should be doing this and it should be doing that. We don't manage to do any of those sort of things. And yet people found it and they started turning up in larger numbers. It feels bad to say to people who've worked really hard to get some of their stuff off the ground, something happened somewhere and somebody heard us and said, hey, listen to these guys. And off it went. And we did a little bit of advertising, just ended up on somebody's table. And next thing you know, we were getting people turning up and it grew and grew and grew. And then it did it again. Like it hit somebody else that was like, oh, and it just went from first day we had three people listening. The first month, I think, was 800 for the entire month with six whole episodes. So you think you've got to divide it by six, really. <laughs> and then after about four months, suddenly it went to 35,000, then 100,000. And then it's just been going since then. And yet we still don't know what we're doing. Have no idea. That's amazing. I've listened to a lot of different shows and I've tried to because it makes a lot of sense to me to like, Figure out what is the formula to make your show really popular and big. Because if you know that, then you can do that or you can teach other people how to do it or whatever. But I have not been able to pinpoint things that make all of these shows similar. Like shows release different times. They do different things. And there's not like any one formula, it seems, to make your show popular. But other than, I guess, the one thing I would say is people can tell that it's genuine and that you're having fun. I was going to say, it's honest. (laughs) Yes, yeah. The groups that are doing that, I feel like, are the ones that people latch on to most. We would do this without the podcast. That's the part that I think matters. I mean, we love doing this show. We love the feedback we get from people. We love the impact we've had on people's lives, which has blown our minds. And we turned up yesterday to play, and after five minutes, we were laughing our heads off, and we'd forgotten how much fun we have sitting down because it had been a few weeks. But we sat and I went, five minutes in, we're laughing our heads off at something stupid and dumb. And then five minutes later, oh, that was serious. And away you go. You're in D&D world. <laughs> I love it. You mentioned NADPOD earlier. Are there any other podcasts in particular that you listened to and really liked and took inspiration from when planning out Girls Who Don't D&D? Yeah, and two of them are the big ones. One of them is NADPOD. That was one of those ones that just turned up when I started deciding. I had a long drive to work. One of the reasons why I left that job was a long drive. But it also let me listen to podcasts. 
if it wasn't for that job, I wouldn't have been able to listen to the podcast. I had been listening to podcasts, which I have forgotten the name of, and it was on an old phone. Everything's missing. I can't find them. It was a bunch of people. It sounded like college-age students who were sitting around playing a game, and I was really enjoying it. I was listening to it on speaker while I was building my games room, while I was putting all the stuff in here. And so it was just in my head, listening to people play made me smile. Sometimes I must have missed entire episodes because I was working with heavy tools and cutting <laughs> wood and hammers and stuff. So they probably did some really important stuff that I missed. In my head, I heard, that's how it feels to play. And while I'm building a games room, I want it to feel like its purpose. So I loved it. And yet I forgot who they were. Their show just stopped one day. So they must have graduated and uh, headed off in different directions. Next thing you know, I get, maybe because I was listening to that one, I get a little ad for NADPOD. And I probably joined in with them after about six or seventh episode. I got in pretty early. And, oh, hang on. These guys are brilliant. They're improv. They know what they're doing. They also made me go, oh, hang on. Take the rules a bit less seriously if you can. Don't come back and say, that's a great idea, but no. And that was the first time I guess I'd heard that whole idea of the rule of cool. And I think D&D kind of too much of that because some people want to go, oh, well, then I pull out the sword I've been building for the last six years for this precise moment. It sounds cool, but make it work with your story. But the other part of that is don't have people say, can I just try this and say to them, well, actually on page five, it says that would be fall damage because you're doing this instead. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let them be superheroes because you can make super demon, super villains, super horrors. True. You're not losing power just because you're giving them some. When our girls land, for example, they always land in superhero pose and they very rarely take fall damage. Fall damage has always blown my mind. Fall damage and breathing rules in D&D are insane. You can breathe underwater forever. Yeah, it's like a minute plus your con modifier or something. Yeah, which we did that recently. I went, I can't make that work. I can't have you underwater for three minutes. Right. Just swing <laughs> to the top. You can get a long way in three minutes. The other one is fall damage. You get attacked by beasts from another plane of existence and they slash at you with these massive claws and do four damage, you know, <laughs> 14 damage or something like that. But if you fall from a building, you are gone. You're in deep trouble. So I like them being able to land powerfully and have those sort of things. And I got that from that point. Just adjust, but don't destroy. Well, destroy it a little bit. And the other one is Dungeons and Daddies. It's another big one. For them, I got my love for that professional sort of sound to the show. And I'm an amateur with that sort of stuff. Freddie Wong is a guru and he's been doing it forever. And I've been watching him forever. And he's been doing special effects on a level that I wish I could fathom. But when I started this, I went, I'm at least going to do my best to make this sound like you're in an adventure and that it's epic. But it's part TV show based on the sound effects alone. You think you're there. And so I guess from those three things, I stole the essence of our own show, which is make it sound like you're really playing and that you love it. Don't get too caught up in the rules every single time that it destroys your story. And then make it sound amazing. I hope we've managed to stumble upon those things. I like it. How long have you been building the world of Kaylee that everyone plays in? I know you mentioned you hadn't really DM'd that many times before you started. So was it like, take a few months to build this and then throw the girls in? Or was it kind of like build as you go? How did it work? I had a plan. So I knew we were going to play and I hadn't quite finished doing some bits and pieces with the game. I had to rebuild the table and uh, I built this table that we sit at so that it could fit all the microphones and all the bits and pieces. I said, look, let's start in a couple of months. I gave myself, I think, six months or maybe four. And in that time, I also built the world. I got a map. I had these sheets of paper, butcher's paper over the top of it so I could draw what was happening in each location. I wrote all the names down. 
And then we started playing little things like that. And I had a pretty good idea what was going to happen. And I was like, we're going to play 10 games because that's as much as I can ask them to do. We'll play 10 games. I'll record it. I'll put it on a USB drive for my son one day. Game one, they loved it so much that they said, can we do more of this? And I went, yeah, and thought my 10-game arc had them fighting the big bad in 10 games in 10 sessions. And now what do I do? How do I extend that? And I thought about it and went, I don't extend the story I have. I changed that story because I did, hadn't told much of that yet. So there's a creature right at the start of our story, big tentacly creature, not a kraken. Everyone keeps calling it the kraken, not a kraken. It was meant to be the big bad. It was going to be the whole story is about this little thing and this other little bit thing happening on the side. That faded to the side a little bit. Still a very important part of the story, but it keeps coming back in pieces because that's going to happen maybe later, who knows when. Like I don't know what's going to happen with that story because we changed straight away. So we had heaps of stuff ready to go, all planned, threw it out the window at the end of episode one, <laughs> as you do. And so after that, now we've got a whole new world that I think is, again, better because it evolves. And so I have characters who have goals, NPCs who have goals, I should say, and they're moving towards those goals while the girls play. And so our backstory, if something changes, it changes for them as much as it does for the players. There's no real plan. There are just connections between things. Me playing those characters or the NPCs and thinking, what would they do now that this has occurred? And that's opened it up immensely for me, but it's also made it a bit of a challenge. Do you have an ending in mind, a kind of end goal, an episode count goal that you're working toward? Or is it just literally, like you said, play by ear, just keep going and keep going and keep going until it happens? Yeah, it was episode 10. So we're now at episode 20. <laughs> and we've really got 29 shows because we do them in parts if we can't fit them in. So it was meant to happen in this short episode 10. Nope, I don't know. I have a plan for things that could happen. But who they happen to, I don't know. I just have this, this could happen at the end. It's the second or third plan I've had for how it finished. <laughs> I don't want to give you too many of the plans that I did have, but I had this really interesting plan at the end. One of the gods at the end changed just one little thing and it set things up in a different way. And it was kind of beautiful. And I'd written it down and everything like that. And then I went, yeah, I don't think I can make that work. Like I had all these strange things in that ending, including that God had some kind of robot. And I don't know, all the things I used to say I don't like about D&D, I actually love about D&D. I didn't like guns in D&D. Well, I have guns, just not a lot of them. And they're magic guns. They're just not trustworthy. When they first started having trains, I know, I was like, oh, no, trains are a bad idea. I don't, that's not D&D. And I went, that's a great idea. Let's do a train. All those things I used to not love, I love now. So it's a very fantasy-based world, but it also has these other elements that I think should not be overlooked because they're good for telling story. But as for a plan... I have multiple plans and they keep changing. So it's not a great plan. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. Like with this three year campaign that just ended, I had a plan, a final battle in my head. Like this is how it's going to end. As far as when it was going to happen, it was kind of like, I don't know. And then one day my players were like, all right, we're going to next session, teleport into the lair and face the villain. And I was like, all right, I guess this is the end. This is how it's happening. And that's how it is. When you start as a DM with new players, you've got to railroad a little bit. You give them opportunities to make choices, but of course, they're not going to make some choices because they don't know they can yet. So you say to them, oh, you can make a plan if you want to solve this situation. And they look at you like, but what does that really mean? So as we've been moving further through our story, you can definitely tell there are times when you're listening, oh, that's not what he expected to happen. He's got to go a whole new direction now. And there are also times when I've gone, ha, 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 I saw that one coming. I was ready for this one. But we've just got to a part 
recently, I think, in our story where some of the things that are happening are pieces of potential plans for the future, like magical items that might help you in some way. Or if you use this and this together, now when you start throwing lots of pieces of different puzzles together, you don't know what they're going to build with it. So I don't know what plan they're going to throw together, but they're starting to think of plans to solve problems. That's the stuff that I was aiming for. So that's been built in and targeted. I want them to tell me how this story ends. I don't want to tell them how it ends. But I also look at it and go, I can't just give them pieces from all these different puzzles, but not enough pieces. And then just go, yeah, you fill in the gaps. See what you come up with. Make up things that you need to solve this problem. I have to throw things out there and see what they do. That's half the fun, honestly, is just giving them a little bit and seeing what they do. Yeah. You mentioned it earlier is that you added uh, narration and voice work from fans into the show as cutscenes and as that kind of thing. What's it like to get those all sorted out? You mentioned you usually do it after you've recorded with the girls. So you're like, okay, I need this piece and this piece. I do the narrations after the episode, but I do the voiceovers before. So the voiceovers of the fans are pre-recorded so the girls can hear them because they usually, a little bit like what you did before, they're usually like the town crier would be a character in my world. In fact, don't be surprised if something comes out of that. I build these characters. I ask people in the real world if they'd like to be part of it, just email us. And that's all you have to do. You email us and we send out test scripts and I find out what the quality of your microphone is and what sort of voices you want to try out. And then I think about whatever situations I've got coming up and send them a script. In fact, I have a script for you. You want to throw me a mini game? I'm throwing you a script. I'm just going to find it. I will do it. And what I do is I send these things out to people and I'm always stunned at what I get back. Sometimes I put effects on it and sometimes some of the voices I get back, I'm like, so good that I just sit them down and put some music next to it. We had one a while ago and it was just, I was sitting around writing an episode that was out of control and I kept writing this episode where you couldn't play for a week and this whole section wasn't meant to happen. We couldn't play for a week because of some sickness. And so I went and wrote some more and it turned into the episode, just in case people are ever wondering how much planning goes in, sometimes none, sometimes heaps. <laughs> yeah. This episode seems like the most planned and it isn't. And I needed somebody to do like an announcer's voice. And somebody emailed me one morning and said, can I do one of these? And I went, sure, I need an announcer. Can you try these? Next thing you know, I've got a legitimate announcer's voice. Like this guy was amazing. And I wrote back and asked him to do all these fill-ins for the show as well, because he was so good. But it honestly came from someone got sick. We couldn't play, wrote some extra bits, which included this massive announcer. Someone emailed me. It fit in perfectly. I wrote some stuff down. Next thing you know, we've got this epic episode built around this stuff that wasn't meant to be there. Is this the pod racing? It was the pod racing, yes. Which again, something else I would have thought, I'm not putting that in D&D. And then when I did it, I was like, I love this. This is the dumbest so event ever. And then still turned into story. Like actual story happened while this was happening. The announcer did a good job too. I don't know if he took some notes from like the episode one pod racing announcers because I kind of heard some inspiration. Like you said, like the little throwaway lines. That's gotta hurt. Anyway, yeah, there's little things like that that were very cheesy, but I thought that's exactly what they would be. And in the middle of all that was uh, life and death situations and consequences for previous actions, all the stuff that, look, if I have to give a tip to people playing D&D, consequences, that's the word. I always hear about people playing, how do I stop my people from being murder hobos? Make them pay for their crimes. (laughs) So I've got people who do things and I'm like, you'll pay for this in some way. It just won't be immediate. It'll be sudden, but not immediate. (laughs) The stories, though, the other part are the narratives, and I write them after the episode. I do that because I love writing, but they're really short. So for about a minute in the episode, there'll be a little sound effect, then a story starts, and it will tell the listeners some of the lore or what's happening elsewhere in the world right now. And they're written after the episode because 
I have to think about what's changed from that game and how that's affecting the world. So that shows you how much planning is involved in what's going on behind the scenes in the end game. There isn't one because I'm chasing it all the time. I love doing that. And I also love the twists that I get to put in where I've had a lot of time to think about it. As a DM, sometimes everything's rushed, but sometimes I sit, sit down and go, oh, now that they've said that word, now I'm going to make this happen instead. That can be a nightmare because I've definitely changed things before and then thought, I've got to fix that up now. That's now canon that this character was in love with this other character at some stage. And now how do I make that the story? And I've got a few of those that are up in the air right now in our story that I can't wait to see them develop because they are extraordinary stories, but they're just sitting there and they get written after. Amazing. And like I said, very unique to your show. And I think it adds a ton of fun layers to it. It's great that we get so much support from people to do it. We really do. Love it. Yeah, for sure. That's incredible that you just have so many audience members who are clamoring to be part of it. If you had to go back and start the show again from scratch, is there anything you feel like you would change knowing what you know now? I want to say yes, but I actually can't think of too many things. I know the biggest one from the side of just production of a show was have some shows up your sleeve. If you're like us and with the way the world is these days, we launched six shows and then boom, we didn't have any more shows to get us through the COVID lockdown we went through. So we had to find other ways around them. But we also, even now to this day, we just took a whole day off together yesterday so that we could sit around and play all day to try and get just one episode in front of our releases so that we can have <laughs> something go wrong. And one of the players got married and we were going to play just before the wedding. We we're like, there's no way you're going to be able to play two or three days before the wedding. It's just not possible. Should, oh, I'll be able to. I'll be able to. And then we got to it. And I think it was even longer than that. It was like a week and a half, two weeks before the wedding. She said, I can do it. And I was like, no, you won't. Something will happen. Weddings are weddings. And weddings are weddings. So we couldn't play that game. And look, we found our way around it because we find our way. But it's hectic. So it's great to be able to now go, look, we're one month in front of what's released. My advice to people would be, if you're doing this sort of stuff, just have a couple of up your sleeve so you don't feel like you're rushed all the time. Yes. As far as changing something in the game, there are things that evolved that would have sounded smoother, I guess, if we didn't do them a certain way. The very first recording, for example, was done by phone, and we've never done another one by phone. Not that it's particularly bad or anything like that, but the first was done by phone, and it was because distance and COVID and so forth. Looking back now, I think that's your first introduction to those sort of things. I'd love it if people could hear exactly what we can do. But it's still pretty good, and it was unexpected, and the girls didn't know it was coming. So that was my favorite thing I did to them was play one of these voiceovers to them live and catch their responses and have them go, wait, this is D&D? And you go, sure it is. It's whatever you want it to be. But yeah, you can have pre-recorded bits that you play to players and see how they respond. But we changed them a little bit. They became a bit different in the way they play. I probably would have liked to have done them slightly different, but I like where they've got to. Do you have any projects in the future that you want to work on now that you have gotten a year plus under your belt of doing this show? We don't have a lot of time because we have real jobs. And as I said, we still don't know what we're doing. So even though I throw those numbers out, I think I said it at one stage to you, Spotify has this extraordinarily large number of listeners. But Spotify doesn't pay any bills for us. Spotify just lets people listen to things. We have this audience, but we don't really make a lot of dollars. So we have to keep going to work. And because of that, we don't have a lot of time for extra projects. We have a Patreon and we're working on an extra episode for them, which will be fun, based on a character, an NPC from our story, and we're going to tell their backstory. It's just little things that sort of spill out from this. We're working on a children's book from the land of Kaylee, 
because the example of the voiceover that I was sent through is a children's story. They're starting to become important in our world. And I thought I might just write the rest of them and get them illustrated. Yeah, we might be releasing a children's book of sorts, which if you'd said that to me two years ago, I would have thought, why would you do that? That's got nothing to do with everything. And now it's a key component. We do sell underwear. That doesn't make any sense at all. So as far as the future project goes, hopefully we'll get out of the underwear business. I don't know. All these little weird things that have sort of come up from it. But realistically, we don't have a lot of time until either we grow even further. No, it's actually not even growing in further. We learn how to use what we have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fair. And I totally get you as far as that's concerned as well. I have thought many times, it'd be fun to start a show about this or that, or maybe I should start streaming or a myriad ideas come into your mind. But ultimately, this is what I've got time for. And so I'm going to just- Do what you can with what you have. Yeah, exactly. Get it done based on what you can do. Yeah. <laughs> the last question before we wrap up and you you know, share your links and everything is, I'd love to hear- Words of wisdom and encouragement to new and aspiring or old and crusty and jaded dungeon masters out there. What advice do you have for running games, for having fun with your players, anything like that? Number one, nobody wins D&D. There are no winners. Do not win this game. Do not try to win. It's not about winning. As soon as you think you have to do something in order to achieve or win, you have lost this game. You can lose D&D but you cannot win it. You can only play and play and play. So I think the number one advice to anybody who's starting out is do not think of it as a normal game. You are telling a story with a group of people. You want it to be unusual. You want it to be random. You don't necessarily have to say at the end of it, this is the goal I wanted to achieve. Let that evolve. Have a plan and make sure that you listen to your own game, listen to your players and adapt. So as soon as you have a plan, let that plan change. And if you don't want to let that plan change, that's when you're going down that path of, but I want to win. I want it to be what I want. And I think the other one on top of that, once you've done that, once you don't care so much about whether or not you come off better than anybody else in that situation, learn how to prepare. And I've been fortunate enough that the podcast aspect of what we do forced my hand on that a little. But even the little voiceovers I do, they're setting up quests a lot of the time or their information that's going to happen at some stage, no matter what so that it doesn't stop my story. It isn't critical to the story, but if the characters take a different direction, I can take the piece out and plonk it in somewhere else. Now, in that preparation, I'm not making something that I'm not going to use, but that also changes the way you make it. I don't make something that's so detailed. Most of the things are generic in a way that I can fill in the gaps after. That way, everything remains useful to me. It just might not be useful at the exact time I thought it was going to be useful. So changing the way you prepare. As an example, the girls in one of my episodes, I was made it very clear the best way to escape an area was to go across the rooftops of the town. They chose to go through the sewers. I had planned for that. I was like, they're going to do this. They're going to because I know them now. So I had a little bit of a plan of bits and pieces to the side, but I'd planned a rooftop adventure and I'd planned a sewer adventure. That rooftop adventure will probably reappear in some way in the future because I'm like, you can always escape from a city. <laughs> you can always run across roofs. That's D&D &D 101, escape via running over roofs. Don't use the streets, that's madness. The other one is use the sewers. If they hadn't gone the sewers, those sewers would have come back in some way later on as well. Perfect. Great advice. Yeah, prep's both the killer, but also if you're not enjoying your prep, you're doing it wrong. You've got to prepare, but you've also got to be comfortable with throwing away that preparation as soon as the players don't just say, oh, no, 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 you need to go through that glowing door over there. It's glowing. Go through the glowing door. And they go, no, no, I'm going to investigate this rock over here. That's when you just twist and bend and move 
and try and figure out how to get them to their own goals. Makes sense. Where can people find you on the internet? Where can people find the show? Where can people learn more about it, get involved, good things like that? We have a dodgy website. One day it'll be a good one, but um, we have girlswhodontdnd.com. But you will find us on Insta. You will find us on Twitter if it still exists when this goes to air. Yeah, who knows? If, <laughs> you never know. We've even got Tumblr, but you just go in there and search for girls who don't D&D. We even have Discord. And as an old, old person that I'm becoming, I had no idea what that is. But I get in there and I answer questions from people from all over the place. I got no idea what they're talking about half the time. And I just jump in there and answer a question or two. And of course, the most important one to us is get into whatever podcast that you listen to and uh, look up girls who don't D&D. You usually have to do D and D with the N. I don't know if the and is working as much as that was one thing I guess I could have done differently. <laughs> Honestly, though, ampersand, people don't use it a lot. It's hard to find on your phone, keyboard. I think it was a smart idea. My thing is I don't know which one I used to start with. So I think it's the end, but sometimes it isn't. <laughs> so that's most of where you can find us. But I think um, the best place to find us uh, really is to start on Instagram. We've got a growing audience on there and we love that. Oh, we're on Facebook too. I always forget the Facebook people. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I will include links to all of those in the episode show notes so that everybody who's listening can go check those out. But yes, Corey, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with me. I know no it's hard to figure out time zones, especially when we're 18, 19 hours apart, but we made it happen and it's been a pleasure to listen to your show. I can tell, like I said at the beginning, that everybody's having a ton of fun and that's really what drew me in, like I'm sure the rest of your listenership. It's a ton of fun to listen to. It's really immersive. You're telling a really fun story and you're doing it for your child, which makes it that much more special and, and fun. Right. There's like a million reasons and they're all mine. <laughs> they all work for me, but it's lovely that other people are coming along. But the best part for me is that I, and I guess this is actually good advice for DMs as well. If you're going to do this, you do this for the right reasons. We're not in this to make money. If somebody pays us a little bit here and there, and some people do, and they're lovely, and it's wonderful. I get emails from people occasionally saying, what is the secret to getting more listens? And what do we do? And I'm like, enjoy yourself. Don't make it about listens. Don't make it about this. Go and enjoy yourself first. And that's what D&D is for me. It's enjoying the company of others and having fun in ludicrous, unexpected ways. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, Corey, again, I appreciate you taking the time. It's been a ton of fun. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to the girls as well. And I am really excited to hear where the story goes. Me too. I got no idea. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to How Not to DM. And now here's a sneak peek into next week's guest, the final guest of season three, One Page Mage. I want to either A, if it's a dungeon crawl, then sure, it's going to be loaded up in combat. Maybe all encounters. Or B, I want to offer variety. One Page Dungeons have been a thing for a lot longer than One Page Mage. People have been making One Page Dungeons with that term for a while now but i try to write one page adventures to hear more about his philosophies on creating a great one shot or a whole adventure running fun and engaging games and more tune in next week for the how not to dm season three finale if you enjoy the show and want to support me there are a few easy ways like tipping me a few dollars on ko-fi or paypal or buying some things for your own tables using my affiliate links i've got links for dice minis tabletop gaming accessories published content and even geeky apparel links for all of these are in the show notes 
Last of all, I'm proud to support Diversity Saves, a tabletop role-playing game charity which donates money to diverse up-and-coming creators working on some of their first projects. It's a great cause and I'm really excited to see what awesome stuff people create from it. Here's a friendly reminder to rate and review the show and share it with friends and family who play TTRPGs too. New reviews will be read at the end of episodes as a thank you. Thanks to the team at T4C Studios for the help editing and producing this episode. My intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacat, and the Quickfire Chaos mood music that plays underneath while we're roleplaying is by my buddy Arcane Anthems. Check out the episode notes for more of their great work. And, as always, until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.